0: Good morning. It is Monday, December 10th, and it's 7:37 a.m. Hope y'all had a good weekend and a, a good week altogether. Um, you know, I just woke up from a kind of like a rapid fire of dreams. I Now it as every second goes by, I just can't remember him, you know, but it was really strange i it it happens I feel like the, that dream pattern happens when I fall into bed exhausted, and i just maybe my r e m affects that pattern, but um, you just have to have the right sweet spot to have you know of the subconscious or unconscious realms to have memorable dreams and and you know what is so strange every single night last week i dropped into bed exhausted so that's that's uh that's cute um it was just a really intensely long week uh, but there were many highlights this weekend and uh, some low lights if you will um i went to one of my favorite restaurants on Friday night with my neighbor slash friend, Donnell, and I was so hungry. It was just one of those days I didn't really get, I think I had some eggs for breakfast and then didn't get to eat till around eight or eight 30, um, at the night. Um, but yeah, uh, Incorberay is this Cambodian restaurant that's been in the neighborhood, I think for at least 20 years. A very sweet family, owns it, uh, it just has a really warm atmosphere, kind of reminds me of being, uh, it kind of, it has like a Berkeley vibe to it, there's always some intellectual and his wife sitting there eating, and then there's intellectually challenged people in the back, no, just kidding, um, that is actually not true, um, because I was, uh, anyway, um intellectually challenged meaning it's just in comparison to the to the professorial types that love to sit in the front of the restaurant I just happen to notice um but I had the green curry with duck and then we had the like squid salad that where the squid was perfectly cooked so it's nice and soft um not not like that rubbery chewy at all um with lots of, you know, carrots, slivers, and like a tangy, kind of a tamarind spicy, uh, like a thin sauce. And then the spinach salad, which, you know, I've been craving spinach, and I basically ate spinach all week. Um, But the spinach salad is a a salad where you um, compose it yourself one leaf at a time, and you take little bits of ginger, shrimp, jalapenos whatnot and then you dip it in this like little sauce it's it's very um it's a very fun salad to eat and I was just so exhausted I just I just scarfed everything down and then dropped into bed after that um and I don't know if I was going to mention it or not um Saturday is kind of like a black mark on my existence, somewhat. I know that's kind of dramatic. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I might, I might get back to that night. Um, but one of the great fun things I did this weekend was I worked the second part of the Lombard Street Estate sale. So the house is very choppy, the way it's... Um, they split up the, the apartments and all that. Um, and the, so, and, and there's so many contents in the house that it just had to be split up into two different dates. Um, so this week we did the bottom apartment and it was kind of like a used as guest quarters. Uh, the owner had a lot of guests all the time kind of people guests that would stay for years so um make of that what you will uh there were a lot of kind of newish appliances and things that weren't of of particular um they didn't have like a you know particular historic value in my in my opinion um but they, these people also left their clothes behind in, in the estate sale, and, uh, although they were still alive and perfectly capable of going to get them, it was now our duty to dispose of them by selling them, so that was, that was fun. Um, we had a view of, I guess, the port of, of San Francisco, and, that was something else because when you where I was sitting um, I was kind of working the the front door where I was sitting they had a a really good view very painterly of just seeing these big ships going back and forth a kind of cruise ships cargo ships I love cargo ships it, it it made it they're just so painterly I would love to have the skills to and the time to go and sit somewhere and paint them it was that was beautiful the view and and, and just watching it it's very calming to me um so that so there were this part of the sale was somewhat more mundane I did get to go down into the um the kind of like the cellar basement area once more and pick some more things out and that was Super fun. I got three gilded frames that had plaster molding on them. Um, They're French and they're quite large. Um, One of them has little clusters of fruit all over it, and then the other one is kind of like stylized uh, ribbon motif. Um, I'm looking forward to having them in my house. So I did form another theory as I was watching. The ships go by, and when I had time to ponder it, um, and the theory involves the curse that was put upon the house, and why the curse did not reach Mr. Albrecht, the most recently deceased owner of the house, who lived there until he was, I believe, 92. Where he died of natural causes. But uh, one of the things that I was thinking of were all the voodoo paintings and, and uh, Haitian art that he collected, which were all centered around a religious theme of, of voodoo. And I was thinking about a particular patron a voodoo saint. Uh, or, or deity if you will uh, named Erzuli and I have a tendency to mispronounce this deity's name And I don't know why I do that I think maybe I am there's something about me that has such a healthy fear of of voodoo deities um, that perhaps if I mispronounce it I won't be summoning it you know what I mean? So, I thought of this deity because she is the patron saint of gay men, generally, and she, you would, at first thing, she's like a Venus, you know, she, she, um, rules the jurisdiction of beauty, love, perfumes, flowers, romantic niceties, but... If you take her on as your saint and you're a woman, especially a single woman, she will sabotage your life. Um she is kind of not uh the type of she's the kind of girl that doesn't have any woman friends. You know the type where they're just where they're just like, oh, you know what, I, I only have male friends, I just get along with men women are just so fussy they're so high maintenance but I'm cool I'm cool let's watch some sports that's the kind of of person um, so she prefers the company of men and so therefore she would be more protective of others you know that will not threaten her position with those men per se so One of the things that happened in the house, uh, if any of you guys haven't listened to the other episodes, is that a woman was basically burned, charred to death in her bed there in the late 60s before Mr. Albrecht bought the house. Also, within a short period of time, two other women killed themselves in that house, okay, and they were all single, so there's a seem to be a hex on single women in particular. So I w- I wondered if Urzuli, er- or Urzagila as I've been calling her, um, I wonder if her presence in the form of paintings, statuary, icons, any kind of iconography, may have Protected him amongst other, amongst the other deities in the house, wherein he paid money to purchase this iconography and and this art wherein by his giving his money that was a tribute in, in a sense to the saint um, so perhaps in having it it he was had some protection because he he definitely lived to a ripe old age it's f- certainly food for thought, and you know. I'm one of those people who doesn't believe in anything, but I also believe in everything, you know, and, um, voodoo is not to be taken lightly. Uh, neither is Santeria, which is, you know, a very, you know, it's basically a parallel counterpart. Um, those two, those two religions, I do not fuck with that. Um, anything else, you know, Satanism, paganism, the Mormons, etc. etc. I I just feel like it's all part of the same turtle. Um, but yeah, those, those other two, I just, I have a, a genuine fear and respect for um, what I perceive to be the powers contained within uh, those rights. So um, moving forward, I was doing some research about of course trying to find more info about the Grey Brothers but uh in my reading I was also uh continuing to do research about Abe Roof and uh, Eugene Schmitz. Uh one of the things that were there where they started to get kind of um the heat put on them or which tipped you know was the tipping point which caused an an investigation into their their, um, unscrupulous acts, uh, was the protection they offered to French restaurants in San Francisco. Now, I'm not singling out the French. French restaurants denoted any sort of restaurant with continental flair, um, of, of which at, at the time, uh, in, in the, uh, kind of Victorian and Edwardian eras of and and also the tradition was carried on probably you know into the mid mid 20th century of uh of ostentatious restaurants um that that were maybe several notches above a a steakhouse and and definitely not too adventurous in in their culinary stylings but offered food of good quality and, and elegant air Well, French restaurants back then were more than just restaurants, okay? Um, And they contained several floors and different things would occur on each level. There was one particular restaurant that was founded in 1849 at the Gold Rush, primarily out of necessity. Um, I wasn't able to find the name of the original owner. Where the, And I don't think many other people are because um, she was pro- probably because she's a woman, <laughs> primarily, um, a French woman. And uh, there's also men who were rumored to have owned the restaurant. Um, I feel like it was probably just whoever showed up that day, Um, but when the restaurant first started, it was a little better than a tent, if you can imagine, during the Gold Rush era. Uh, They had these tables on sawhorses with oilcloth, probably grimy oilcloth, you know, definitely no chandeliers. I imagine they had lanterns and and whatnot. Um, It was very bare bones, something of a hole in the wall, and the restaurant was originally called La Poulet d'Or, the golden chicken. But the miners that went there, who incidentally paid with gold dust, literally paid with gold dust, That when the miners went there, they couldn't pronounce the name. This is one of the theories of how the restaurant was named. And so they started calling it Poodle Dog, which is... Of, I personally I think is of considerable charm, and that is what the name became known for. the The restaurant itself was also known for the the quality of its food, which was exceptional. This was uh, this place became the perfect spot to showcase all the bounty of California's growing season. And after the gold Gold Rush boom, the focus turned to agricultural um, booms and. So they had, you know, wine from the Mission Vineyards that, you know, was made expressly for the poodle dog and, you know, several fish courses. And this is fish courses. Then there was an area where you could carve your own prime rib, you know, the type. And they would have all sorts of cheeses liver pates, just keep, kept bringing it out. It was, it was a, a feast where people could just gorge themselves. And they also had, they would end each meal with, uh, all the seasonal fruit you could eat. And this was for the price of 15 cents. Um, obviously, you know, prices have gone up. Uh, but that was a lot of, a lot to pay for a meal back then. And, um, during the gold rush since everyone was focused on looking for gold, uh, and, and was paying everything in, in gold, uh, due to the speculation and the bubble, uh, food prices were actually quite high until after the, the gold rush. And then they went down. So 15 cents was, um, a lot, a lot to, to spend on a, a large meal even. And, um, Oh, you could also get a a huge beer mug of coffee for five cents. Now, I'm thinking, as far as inflation of coffee prices go, I mean, five cents, that's a third of the cost of the meal. Those are the type of things that make me wonder in my research if some things just kind of get muddled in translation and pastiche together through hearsay and word of mouth. Moving forward... So that exact location, as as they became more well known, was at Washington and what is now Grant Street, but at the time it was called DuPont Street. So it's actually Grant Avenue now. And as as the, uh, the Victorian era moved towards the Gilded Age, as I like to say, the time of opulence, and la bella Poke was was right around the corner um they had built five stories, and it was just a mecca, so the bottom floor was where people would take their families and it was it was a uh, where you'd take your wife uh San Francisco was primarily populated by A lot of single men now there's not a surplus of them here at the moment or any of particular quality but back then there were lots of them and um, so they you know they didn't really cook they didn't really do much but go out to eat and and then then uh, have fun in brothels after dinner so what happened is on the second floor that's where you'd bring your extramarital trysts, and that's where you would wine and dine them, okay. And it was separate from, you know, they had each each area had a separate dining room, and and uh, the poodle dog was the place that kind of started the age of the separate dining room, um, and and pushed it into fashion. Uh, then you go to the third fourth and fifth floors and those were outfitted with bed chambers. Opulent bedchambers, uh with you know, thick oriental carpets, wall to wall, you know comfy feather beds. They even had their own telephone and bathrooms and of course you could get room service and that is that is expressly where men would bring their all their illicit affairs um if you will uh where they would uh entertain uh you know orgies and that sort of thing going right 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 above the respectable restaurant below as above so below and um they had a like a footman or doorman there who who oversaw the elevator to that uh to that area and he was very wealthy he because he was taking a lot of tips and bribes hush money and he was a uh, very tight-lipped he he never spoke to anyone unless spoken to and he was he wore a lot of diamond jewelry and he invested in real estate he was wealthy practically a millionaire, uh, just from all the uh, generous tips. The elevator looked like a bird cage, which was kind of ironic because it was filled with soiled doves going up the Tower of Torpitude. So uh, it there was a lot going on in this restaurant. And you know what held it all together? Champagne. And the person who was in charge of and controlled all of the beer wine and liquor licenses was a roof now originally he didn't have control of them, but he was a lawyer for the people who had control of them and eventually he got control of of those licenses as well and If you wanted to have so the company would for some reason revoke your your license you know for the usual standards and it would be you'd have to refile and reapply all over again to get that liquor license, and um, you know that would shut down your business considerably until you received the license and the correct paperwork. So uh, one way to skirt over over that and to have your restaurant in working order was to throw money at Abe Roof, and the poodle dog paid him ten thousand uh, dollars to keep keep the well-oiled machine uh of sin open and so that was that was kind of where things the corruption it was a corruption kickoff so to speak so the the poodle dog was closed at a, in april 1922 due to pr- prohibition and uh you just can't have a restaurant slash orgy parlor without champagne you just can't and then they reopened 10 years later when prohibition ended as the Ritz French restaurant and then later changed the name back to the Ritz poodle dog and uh, they were in business in several incarnations until 1984 and it was a much loved place um, one of the, I want to backtrack a little bit and just put a pin in, in some other things, but uh, one of the, the theories was that it was named after an actual dog named Ami, who didn't survive the second relocation in 1868, died two days after. It was just too much on the poor thing. Um, Ami was a mascot for the restaurant and was a blackish gray poodle I like poodles I think that they're cute they're iconic so there's a lot of fun that's a fun name the poodle dog I think and many other restaurants surrounding there's Delmonico's which there was also one in New York this was around the time the Tadich Grill opened, which in itself was had more of a a club feel to it and and was not a French restaurant so to speak, in the way that the poodle dog was. Um, and if you if you go to the Tadich, you'll you'll see to the left, there are these small private dining rooms, which alluded to uh, the 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 food trends in the dining fashions of the era. And the menu does have some somewhat stodgy offerings mixed in with their favorites, um, such as. Wild boar, which it's quite dry i wouldn't have it again, but um I had it out of curiosity about eleven years ago and haven't had it since and don't want it so that was something that really intrigued me the 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 history of of food and our our relationship in san francisco with with restaurants because of and and why restaurants, why there are so many. Uh, the domestic lifestyle was unconventional, to say the least. And that kind of stayed with the citizens of San Francisco. Um, especially during the gold rush. I have a lot of info about some rifts that occurred between Abe Roof and his Pretty puppet Eugene Schmitz, and I will get into that in further detail next episode. Um, there are some unusual circumstances, and a lot of them are, give me a lot of uh, quite. I was amused. I haven't had my coffee yet, so but but trust me, this. This ain't over, and um, it gets real juicy from here. And it all kind of began at the French restaurants. I hope you all have a great day, and thank you for tuning in. Bye-bye.